Today on the Gateway House podcast, we're going to be looking at three notable events that have occurred over the last week. The execution of war criminals in Bangladesh, Prime Minister Modi's visit to Singapore, and the formation of the ASEAN Economic Community and what it means for India. Welcome to the Gateway House podcast. My name is Vipratap Vikram Singh, and today we have Ambassador Neelam Deo here with us. Let's begin with an event that took up headlines in India. On Wednesday, Bangladesh's Supreme Court upheld the decision to execute two opposition politicians for war crimes committed during the country's liberation war of 1971. The men, Salahuddin Qadir Chaudhary and Ali Hasan Muhammad Mujahid, were summarily executed on Sunday as Bangladesh's government braced for the eventual backlash. So Neelam, this incident has been condemned by many human rights groups and and Pakistan of course. Um, while others have applauded Sheikh Hasina's commitment to justice, what does India think of this incident, especially with the historical ties and the communal issues that these executions have brought up? I think the uh, implementation of the death penalty is always a complex uh, matter, and I think many people are uh, are opposed to it in principle. However, as our Supreme Court has taken the position that in the rarest of rare cases. Uh, natural justice uh, calls uh, calls for uh, an execution uh, in the in the bangladesh case i think uh, first of all to put pakistan out of the way of course pakistan will criticize it these are people who fought on the side of pakistan against the liberation of uh, of bangladesh and particularly salahuddin qadir chaudhry his father was a the speaker in the pakistan uh, parliament Salahuddin Qadir Chaudhry is known to have had uh, links with uh, Pakistan's uh, intelligence agencies. He was not only accused of uh, genocidal crimes in the liberation uh, uh, period uh, of Bangladesh, but even subsequently, uh, he was a very uh, offensive uh, person in public life. Even though he belonged to the to the Bangladesh National Party of Khalid Azia. he uh, abused her publicly in one period when he broke away from her uh, he was the brains behind what is known as the chitagong arms hold case when tons of weapons were loaded at the harbor uh, and were meant to be transported by trucks they were truck loads uh, to the northeastern uh, states of india uh, to be given to secessionist groups to stir up more trouble and that was the period when bangladesh was providing safe haven it was giving training to terrorist groups so we know that he was associated with that we also know that he was personally responsible for the killing uh, of uh, hindus for the rape of uh, hindu women uh, so it's difficult to uh, make an argument in his favor as regards the uh, the uh, the criticism by uh, human rights watch etc i think there are two or three issues involved here it is the same groups which call for uh, an end to impunity uh, against uh, you know by people who have undertaken uh, abuses human rights abuses then simultaneously they are criticizing the trial process the tra- trial process uh, any trial process can certainly be improved uh, but this trial is is a necessary 
part of the history of Bangladesh. Not only did these same people uh, assassinate the uh, the leader of Bangladesh's uh, freedom struggle, uh, Sheikh Mujibur Rahman, uh, they deliberately chose to do so on the 15th of August, which is India's uh, Independence Day. It was also a message to India. Uh, but they were then involved in a number of subsequent uh, uh, what constitute crimes against humanity. So uh, you can certainly challenge any trial process, but Bangladesh's history required, uh, as the whole Shabag movement of young people was about, making a reckoning with their early history in order to be able to get past that. Uh, the assassination of Sheikh Mujib also resulted in 15 years of military uh, coups and rule. Uh, it resulted in, um, you know, uh, stifling all the earlier promise of their democracy and the, uh, the way the independence movement generates a feeling of unity among people. All of that uh, was wasted. Uh, and uh, when Sheikh Mujib was assassinated, his entire family who was there, including a six-year-old boy, were assassinated. I, I think the crimes, the magnitude of the crimes against uh, Sheikh Mujib and the magnitude of the crimes against a newly liberated country have to be kept in the picture while criticizing uh, the decisions and, uh, and the process. Uh, as far as I'm aware, India has not spoken about uh, these uh, executions. But there will be few people who know the reality of the crimes who uh, will be opposed to punishment uh, for, those, uh, for those crimes. And I think one other aspect which we should try to understand, including in the current context, and that is uh, communal uh, problems. Uh, Salahuddin Qadir Chaudhary particularly was constantly attacking the Hindu community in Bangladesh, but also stirring up uh, Hindu-Muslim uh, uh, issues and stirring up hatred within the Muslim community between people who professed a more liberal uh, Bangla Muslim ethos against an imported uh, Wahhabi uh, ethos. So Neelam, we're going to have a bit of a shift now. We're going to move from Bangladesh to, uh, to ASEAN and Singapore um, with Prime Minister Modi having had a very busy week. Uh, he attended the G20 summit in Turkey. He was in Malaysia for the ASEAN summit and wrapped it all up with a state visit to Singapore. Interestingly enough, uh, while Narendra Modi was there for the, to give the 37th Singapore Lecture, it came just two weeks after the 36th uh, Singapore Lecture, which was given by Chinese President Xi Jinping. Um, this event is yet another point in the, in the coinciding schedules uh, between the two leaders. Um, what, what do you make of this? So let me begin with, uh, with Bangladesh and India's Look East policy. Uh, because Bangladesh is, of course, along with Myanmar, our gateway into ASEAN. Within the ASEAN uh, community, the country that has been most supportive of India's association with ASEAN and the bringing India into the ASEAN fold in the same way 
as ASEAN's other partners like South Korea or Japan or China uh, or the United States. Uh, so Singapore has a special significance for India's relationship with, uh, with ASEAN. Uh, I think the, the, it was inevitable that there would be some focus on the uh, Prime Minister's uh, 37th Singapore uh, lecture and the preceding one by President uh, Xi. Uh, of course, both spoke about their own relationship with Singapore and the role that Singapore has played in expanding <coughs> Chinese uh, and Singaporean relations and uh, in uh, the India and Singapore uh, relationship. So in some ways, there's a parallel. You know, uh, the uh, minister mentor, uh, Go Chok Tong, he once said that uh, ASEAN was like a jumbo jet. Uh, one wing was China and the other wing is India. And actually, China has played, uh, Singapore has played that kind of role because Singapore began to work with China uh, before it was a member of the WTO, before it had opened itself up to the West more completely. And it was always the argument of Lee Kuan Yew and Go Chok Tong that uh, the, uh, to work constructively with China, to engage with China. So uh, President Xi recalled some of, uh, uh, of this uh, past relationship, but then spoke uh, about the future. But he made some assertions which came up in a different way during the ASEAN meeting and during uh, Prime Minister Modi's uh, address, and these related to the South China Sea, where President Xi was uh, firm and uh, you know, assertive that the uh, sovereignty over the South China Sea was Chinese and it was indisputably so. In other words, they don't, e they are not even willing to talk about it. So he made, uh, he made that clear. On the Indian side, uh, in the Prime Minister's uh, address, as well as in discussions during ASEAN, President Obama from of the United States also made the point that freedom of navigation in the South China Sea, through the South China Sea, has to be protected that these disputes, the maritime disputes, should be settled peacefully, uh, and that the uh, rights of tra uh, traversing uh, the uh, maritime sphere as well as the area uh, cannot be curtailed uh, in this manner. So it is interesting that China chose to make this assertion in Singapore because, of course, everyone would pay attention, uh, just as the Indian Prime Minister also chose to make uh, the Indian position clear uh, in, these, uh, in these two addresses. Other than that, of course, in some ways there were similarities. Uh, both uh, looked to, uh, to Singapore as a highly successful economic model uh, and, uh, and would like to avail of its uh, special expertise in certain areas and uh, hope that, uh, that there can continue to be a uh, constructive economic relationship. Right. Um, as you mentioned, Modi used the Singapore lecture to reinforce the, the strong relations that India has with uh, ASEAN and the Pacific nations, both the historic and the recent uh, relations. Um, and as you said, this, this was reflected in both his speeches in ASEAN and uh, during the, the Singapore lecture. Um, but it's interesting to note that the relation between the ASEAN countries and India hasn't progressed as one might have hoped. I mean, the, 
while in this summit you saw the creation of the ASEAN Economic Community, um, India is still waiting for ASEAN to ratify an FTA on services. How is India going to ensure that it's not left out of these growing economic relations like the TPP and this newly formed AEC in the future? So I think India is, uh, is not sure uh, what kind of relationship it seeks in the trade and uh, economic sphere globally, but also with uh, ASEAN. The relationship with ASEAN has been quite constructive uh, and it has made progress, but it has not made the kind of progress that it could have. And it definitely has not made the kind of progress that ASEAN-China relations uh, have made. Uh, But I think we have to recognize that much of this uh, is in the reticence from the Indian side. Uh, For instance, we have decided to review all our trade agreements because there is this sense that we have not benefited as much as our partners have. That may well be true in statistical sense, but it's past time for India to recognize that trade and trade agreements are no longer about the lowering of tariffs, which is what all the FTAs that India has signed are about. Uh, Trade tariffs on most commodities, most goods, in most countries have already fallen very low and are likely to go further with or without uh, trade agreements, with or without progress even in the WTO. The whole game has begun, has become about being a part of the global logistics value chain. Uh, India is not uh, really a presence in these uh, production uh, lines which traverse countries, which cross uh, continents. So some of the uh, inertia in the relationship, really the fault lies uh, on the Indian side. Now, 25 years ago, ASEAN decided that they would move into an ASEAN community. Uh, And I think they were conscious and quite uh, recognized that the progress has not been as rapid as they would like. But still, they have moved from barely any trade in these 25 years to 20% intra-ASEAN trade. Uh, It's not a bad figure for economies which are all roughly at the same level of economic and industrial development. They are not the same. Obviously, Singapore is very different from Vietnam, which is very different from uh, from, uh, Malaysia. But uh, they have made uh, measurable uh, uh, progress. The India-ASEAN Free uh, Trade Agreement in Services was signed only last year, actually. And the process of ratification by all the members of ASEAN has begun. Some countries, like uh, the Philippines, uh, have concerns that it will impact their own service uh, industries because there are areas uh, where both India and Philippines are actually quite successful, particularly things like the BPO. But more than that, there are the services more advanced, more sophisticated. So it is time-consuming. Uh, but I think we, we really need to reflect in India. What is our view? Do we really want, how much globalization are we willing to go ahead for? Uh, Because it's not going to come without any pain for any sectors. Uh, There will be losers and, uh, and we have to decide whether that is worth our while in terms of if you are not there, you get left further behind. 
as these uh, mega trade agreements get concluded, whether it is TPP, whether it is uh, TTIP, uh, whether uh, uh, you know it is a East Asian, uh, this uh, ASEAN, uh, uh, whether it is the ASEAN uh, community, uh, which has now is now coming into being. Uh, so, in order to be a full player in all of these things, uh, we will have to prepare ourselves to be a member. That is to say, we will have to harmonize our labor policies, environmental policies, our uh, you know trade tariffs, the quality uh, considerations uh, that uh, that will come into providing parts uh, of a product. And as countries move up in the value chain. Uh, then, of course, these, the very sophistication of that product requires even more harmonization of uh, uh, quality standards uh, and uh, precision uh, processes. So, uh, some of the uh, inadequacy of progress really uh, is our own uh, reticence. And I think uh, we have to make both the, the uh, intellectual assessment of the value of not just bilateral trade, but of globalization, of being part of the entire process that the global economy is now tending towards. Thank you, Neelam. You've been listening to the Gateway House podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast and wish to receive more content like this, follow us on SoundCloud and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.